few years ago, a few years ago, Pastor Wayne used uh, an illustration uh, that I want to share with you again. In 2007, there was a world-class uh, violinist who, uh, and again, if you want a resume builder, he actually had a showing on Sesame Street, which I think if you've got that on your resume, you must be uh, legit. And so uh, a guy who is normally reserved for, you know, concert halls and grand theaters uh, that both he and his listeners were accustomed to, he uh, instead, you could say he ditched the tux and instead threw on a ball cap and headed for his next performance to the subway station of the D.C. Uh, Metropolitan Subway for his next performance. As he played... 1,097 people passed by. And out of all those people who passed by, he had his little violin case open. Uh, he received uh, from a couple dozen people $52.17, which would have been uh, less than half the price of a ticket to one of his concerts. Uh, and out of the uh, more than 1,000 people that passed by, uh, only seven actually stopped uh, to linger for any length of time. And why is this? Well, the people, they did not realize who it was that was before him, this, this famous uh, violinist, Joshua Bell. And so last week we began a message series entitled Unstuck, Teach Me to Pray, where we were reminded that prayer is not to be a guilt trip, but a gift, uh, that it's a gift, and we wanted just to encourage you in the simplicity of that uh, by just taking this past week, each day for the last seven days, just take a minute, just one minute to, we said message God, like you would maybe text message a friend, or maybe write a little sticky note to, you know, a, a kid in the house or something like that, just something real simple, just to maybe uh, begin to step into, if it's not already part of the regular rhythm of your life, what it might look like to begin to have some connection points with God. It was really cool actually to hear from several of you uh, early in the week. A teacher shared, it was the first full week of teaching, and she said, uh, we gave you a little card as like a reminder to put places or something you could put on your phone uh, as like a, like a prompt. And uh, she said, first full week of school was exactly what I needed to be reminded and to be able to connect to God in the midst of that. Uh, we had um, some people who set alarms on their phones to, with the, uh, the little background to remind them to pray. A couple of people shared uh, pictures of their dashboard where they put this little card, uh, recognizing that some people need to pray while driving uh, maybe more than others for different reasons. Uh, and so that's great. And so it was really an invitation to uh, almost like the, the thousand people in the subway just to pass by and to, to give prayer a try. But we want to build on that this week. We want to go a little further and say, okay, what would it look like for us to recognize who it is that is actually before us when we pray, to maybe be like one of the seven people who lingered a little longer and were actually one woman out of those seven recognized Joshua Bell uh, having been to one of his concerts uh, at a prior time. And so what would it look like for us to realize and step into and recognize, wait a second, who is it that we are actually getting to talk to when we pray? And so that's what I want us to look at here today, uh, almost like a, like a bio of who is on the other side of these prayers. So the first thing we have to recognize, uh, it might seem obvious, but I think sometimes we miss it, and that is just the reality that 
the God of the universe not only can hear us, but actually does hear us. And, and that when you think about it, when you just think about the, just the universe, the size, the magnitude, the lengths, the, just the sheer noise in the universe, and the fact that both the creator of it can, and then in fact chooses to, in his design, create a way that he can cut through it all to hear from an individual is a remarkable reality. David, who is known as uh, the greatest king of Israel, uh, who we have his story uh, recorded throughout the Old Testament, as well as several of his prayers, uh, he says it this way. Uh, he actually prays it this way. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Essentially, he's saying, when I consider the massiveness of the universe, which we know that he didn't know what we now know about the realities of what's in the sky. I mean, they were just dots in the sky. For us, we are starting because of science to understand just the magnitude and the lengths of which our universe is. When he considers that, he says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Now, while much of our culture might say, yeah, I think there's a higher power, or even science can conclude an intelligent designer behind all of this. To merely accept God at that level is really only to accept, you could say, the, the lowest common denominator. And to miss Psalm 8-4, that he not only created it all, but he is mindful He's paying attention to his creation. And to what degree? That mindfulness, it says, that he actually cares for them, cares for us. And so we have a God who can and chooses and create in such a way to hear from us and that he cares for us. And then deeper still, we realize as we dig into God's word to us that that care, it's not just generic. It's actually quite specific to you and to me, that he wants to hear specifically from you, from me, that he wants to care specifically for you and for me as individuals. Um, in fact, when dis the disciples uh, were with Jesus and they witnessed him praying in a certain place, uh, it says that they asked Jesus, Jesus, the, the title of the series, teach us to pray. And as Jesus began to teach them how to interact with the creator of the universe, this is how he defined and described the creator of the universe. He says, when you pray, number one, Father. Father. Father, it is the title, it is the description, it is the designation that in its perfect form communicates care. And for some, while it packs within it, you could say that meaning for some of you, the care, the assurance, the affirmation, the, the security, the invitation that it was really designed to be in the beginning. We also recognize that for others, um, really since the fall, since evil, uh, since sin broke our world, that brokenness for others has been experienced in that person, in that man, given the title Father. And so when it comes to father for God, 
Maybe for you that is not a gift, but one of your biggest hang-ups. And so we acknowledge that in this fallen world, we have, you could say, we all have somewhere on the range from an amazing earthly father to potentially the worst case scenario of someone who held that role. And that regardless of where you are at on that continuum, we can know that in our good God, that there is a greater reality, a greater existence, regardless of where you're at, that goes beyond our on earth experience. And so even if you would say you had like the best case scenario of a dad here on earth, the best that a father or a son or a daughter could ask for in a father, um, and knowing that no one is perfect, know that in our God we have even better because he is perfect. And then on the other extreme where maybe you find yourself in the worst case scenario, um, that the idea of a father and God is, is one of the biggest roadblocks for you, then may you know that our God, our heavenly father, is the father that you never knew you could have. And this is how God's word describes God our father. That not only can, but wants to hear from you and to care from you. Jesus, as God's son, he came and he, he embodied this representation. He was the embodiment. He was, you could say, the fulfillment of what God the Father is in his on-earth ministry. And this is how he describes the character and nature of God the Father. He says it this way regarding himself. He says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. What's interesting in this original setting, Jesus was actually speaking very specifically to people who uh, you could say were um, maybe weary and burdened by uh, not just stuff of the world, but actually by over-the-top religious people, by religiosity, where the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, they had set up all these religious hoops and hurdles uh, that you had to go through and over in order to get to God. They would set these up, stack them up to where the people, they just felt insecure and unable and not confident to be able to actually have a prayer life, to be able to connect with God. To which Jesus says, if that's you, he says, then come to me, all you, for whatever you face, whatever you are weary and burdened with, even if it's religion itself, And he offers this instead. He says, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. The God of the universe gives us this deeply personal invitation by saying, come to me. Who? The weary, the burden. It's you that I'm inviting to come to me. And as I think about this in like, you know, kind of our modern day context for you and for me. When I think about who it is that I'm going to invite over to maybe a get together at my house, uh, let me tell you who's not first on my list. The weary and the burdensome. Uh, I mean, you think about it, you have these friends, these ones that no matter what, uh, the positive you know, upbeat vibes going on, they're going to be the one that's always going to kind of be the drag on the whole room uh, that even when something good is happening, they're going to find a way to counter it with the bad part. Be like, hey, we got, we got ice cream cake. Uh, I'm, I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> hey, everybody, let's watch that new uh, mystery whodunit movie. Seen it. It was the butler. The butler's who done it. 
So it's like, that is not the guy at the top of our list. He's not our invitation. We don't want to invite the weary person who burdens us all. Uh, however, in our good and gracious God, the invitation goes out, hey, are you burdened? Are you weary? Are you down and out? Are you depressed? Are you anxious? Do you feel empty? Are you overwhelmed? Are you in despair? Come to me. It is the most remarkable invitation that speaks to, in and of itself, the very nature and character of who God our Father is. And where the religious leaders of that day were getting it wrong, where they were saying, hey, fix yourself, and then you can come. Get your act together, and then you can show up. It is only in Christ that is dysfunctional and broken and just as you are, wherever you are, everywhere you are, he says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Other, you can also translate it, I will be your rest. Jesus will be your rest. And so Jesus says, come to me. But then he also says, Come often. Come often. Jesus, he would often tell these parables, these stories that illustrated a, uh, a biblical truth, something that would make sense to the people around them in that day that uh, illustrated a, a deeper truth. And he often used parables to explain and teach about prayer. And in one such setting, actually in a couple settings, but one we're going to look at, uh, it recorded in Luke 18, he tells a story of a, it says, a persistent widow. She has this adversary, and she's going to this judge. Uh, it says it's an unjust judge. She goes to this unjust judge uh, asking for um, justice against uh, this particular adversary. And it's uh, Jesus, he sets up the parable. Before he even tells it, he tells you kind of the takeaway, if you will. In Luke 18, 1, he says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray, to pray often, and in those prayers, to not give up. And so the story of the widow goes that she ends up going to this judge, and uh, it, says he could, it's, it says basically he could care less about her problem. But because of her persistence, because she came to him over and over again, asking again and again and again. It says, because of her persistence, the judge gives in. To which Jesus then applies this and says, how much more will our God bring justice to those whose faith is in him? The persistence to come often is the invitation of our heavenly Father. I contrast this with, honestly, my life as a dad. Uh, in our household, um, my wife Jessica and I, we have uh, four kiddos. And of our four kiddos, our number three, his name is Case, uh, we all agree, mom, myself, all four kids, including Case, as well as we'll throw in the dog, the seventh. There's seven of us. We all agree that Case is our most persistent child, we'll say. Uh, to which we pray and trust that God will use to his glory in the future somehow, somewhere. But for the time being, uh, Case, in his persistence, he is also obsessed, and I, and I don't use that word lightly, but I, I do use it accurately. He is obsessed with arcade claw machines. Absolutely obsessed. 
to where it just kind of began like you really couldn't get past one in a store without, you know, him having to ask to get a dollar. Then he starts bringing his wallet everywhere he goes to make sure that he gets an opportunity to do the claw machine, to which now it's moved to having to, you know, as a prerequisite, like, where are we going? Well, well, do they have claw machines? Because uh, that's kind of a discerning factor on rating where it is that we're going to go. Uh, realizing he can't have the kind of access that he would like to have to them. So then at home, he decided to create one out of cardboard. Um, once that kind of passed, he then invested his money in a toy-sized uh, claw machine that he bought with his own money on Amazon Prime. Good for him. And then once that wasn't quite scratching the itch, he's, he really wants, like, a life-size arcade one. And so he's been researching on YouTube how it is that he can actually acquire one of these things for our household to the point now where he is actually praying regularly for a claw machine. He's been taking notes in my sermons, unfortunately. And now, just this past week, a new development, it's not good enough just to go to Walmart to play the claw machine. He is now asking, can we go to the customer service center to find out what it's gonna take for one of them to part with these claw machines? To name their price. And on and on and on, he asks over and over and over again until finally I'm like, Case, ask me that again. Ask me again. To which kids in the room, you know. When your mom, when your dad says, ask me again, that is not to be taken literally. <laughs> that is a full-on threat. <laughs> However, in our good and perfect God, his actual invitation is to come to him and to keep on coming. I mean, to the point he's not like just tolerating it. Like he tells parables and stories about how, no, seriously, keep coming. There's another story about a guy knocking on the door in the middle of the night for bread. It's like, no, no, keep knocking, keep coming. Our heavenly dad, our perfect heavenly father wants to hear from you. He longs to hear from you. Come to him with whatever you've got, weary, burden, good in between, and come often. Come often, bring whatever you've got. I love the way the Apostle Peter says, who walked three years with Jesus on earth. He says in his letter to churches after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he says, cast your cares upon the one who cares for you. Cast your cares upon the one who cares for you because that is the invitation that Jesus gives and the one that he experienced. Jesus says, come and come often. Okay, and so we come, we come often, and then from there when we come to God in prayer, it says in Scripture that we want to come to him righteous. Come righteous. Psalm 34, 17 says it this way. He says, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. So you might be thinking, wait, 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 time out. Did you not just say that we can come as we are with our birds, you know, like, like we didn't have to have our acts all together? Well, let me remind you. Let me remind all of us what is so easy for us to forget, what uh, Thomas painted so beautifully during communion, and that is the reality that it is not your righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It is never your righteousness that gives us access to God. It is only, oh, yes, Christ's righteousness accredited to us when we place our faith in him. So we can take a big breath on that point because 
It is not this past week your awesomeness that um, determined whether or not God would hear your moment-to-moment prayers. It is always Christ's awesomeness accredited to you, his perfection accredited to you that makes possible the pathway to have that relationship with God and then out of that relationship, the the get-to, to be able to have the gift of him hearing you in your prayers. And this, this is what it means to be a Christian, to accept what Jesus has done for you that we cannot do for ourselves, to be forgiven of the sin that blocks us from our perfect God, to receive that forgiveness, to be wiped clean of the unrighteousness by his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And what's interesting is that prior to that verse, it actually is an invitation for all of us to accept that, to accept and receive a right standing, a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Uh, The Apostle Paul in this letter, he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God because, good news, the gospel, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so I would be amiss to say that if you have not yet stepped into, received, been reconciled to God, a relationship with God in your life, that today can be that day where we have that conversation, we make that prayer to receive him into that reality for your life and your eternity. And so if you're here in this room or in the East Auditorium, before you leave, I'll be at the front here or, or in the lobby. We can catch up afterwards out of the East. Let's have that conversation. Uh, or if you're at home online, you can text the church. Actually, you can text the church wherever you're at if that's a better way to get the conversation started. And I'll be in touch with you later today. The number is 217-875-3350 to step into a relationship with God. And so coming out of that, that reality that we are reconciled to God, that we have a relationship with him, that he can hear us, that he does choose to hear us, that he wants to hear from us, and he cares for us individually. We then, knowing all of this, knowing who is before us, the scriptures say to then come confidently when you come to God. To come confidently, not unsure, not wondering, not who I do it this way, do it that way. Hebrews 4 says it this way, that because we have in Jesus, it says a great high priest, which is uh, the Old Testament understanding of a con- our connection to God. Because we have in Jesus this connection to God, it says, who knows what it's like. In Jesus, it says we have a high priest who knows what it's like because we don't have a God who's on some far off throne who doesn't understand what it's like to be human. We have in Jesus, God in the flesh, who knows what it's like to be weary, to be burdened, to be insulted, to be betrayed, to be lonely, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be misunderstood. And because we have in Jesus that actual knows what it's like to be human connection to God, it says because of that, we can, it says, approach God's throne of grace with confidence, with confidence that he knows what it's like and so that we may receive mercy and grace, to find grace to help us in our time of need. And so with all of that, we come to him confidently, knowing he wants to help us and care for us because kind of bringing us all back to it. As our heavenly father, we get to come confidently as his children, that we come as a child. 
John 1.12 says it this way. To all who did receive him, to all who received, put faith in Jesus, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And Jesus, he paints this all throughout his ministry. There's this one setting where people are bringing children to Jesus, actual children. And the disciples, actually, ironically, are rebuking these people, saying, hey, don't get you know, these kids away. Uh, to which Jesus says, no. He says he was indignant, which he's not happy. And he said, no, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he goes on, he says, to the adults, truly I tell you, Anyone who did not and will not receive, excuse me, whoever will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And it says that he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. In, a, in another setting, uh, the disciples are arguing over who's going to be number one in Jesus' crew. And Jesus stops, teaching moment, calls a little child to him, places the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you adults change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Which is interesting to me. Because I think about kids and I think about how they ask for stuff. And aside from the cute factor, they really don't know how to do it, right? I mean, they don't know how to ask. They don't know how to, you know, like be sly. I mean, they're just like, they're just out there. I mean, they, they do things like ask Walmart to just give them one of their claw machines for a reasonable price. I mean, they don't get it. And if that's how you feel, if you feel like, man, when it comes to prayer and God the Father and all that, like, I don't know what to say, how to say it, if I'm saying it right, well, then perfect. You're the, you are the perfect place to have the perfect prayers. Because not only does God say we can come to him like children, he actually says it's the only way. He says you will not understand, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless you come like a child. It is the way to God. It is the perfect way to pray. In fact, this is kind of the paradox that over time what happens as your prayers get a little more polished and a little more perfect sounding, caution. You might be actually more phony and more fake and less childlike. It's this great irony that the more mature your prayer sound, the more immature your prayer life may be becoming. It's like you can't make this stuff up. Jesus, he, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you pray, he says, do not keep on babbling. Other translations say, don't use empty words, empty phrases like the pagans. For they think they're going to be heard for their many words or fancy words. Do not be like them. And in verse 9, just below that, Jesus brings it full circle to us as children. And he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father. The word there is actually Abba. It really means daddy. I mean, that is really a better like, reality of what Jesus is getting at. And so we, as sons, as daughters, as children, made right by his one and only son, Jesus, are adopted as his children and able to come to him just as we are. 
which takes us back to the, uh, the illustration that I stole from Pastor Wayne, uh, uh, where in 2007, this, uh, this world-class violinist, Joshua Bell, played for an audience of passerbys where only seven people stopped to listen. Well, interestingly, since he's told that story, there actually was a development in the story that many years later, he actually uh, he went back to that same subway, only this time he announced that he was going to be there. And what he encountered was instead a thousands of fully engaged attendees packing the station. Same violin, same songs, but what changed? The audience knew. They now understood who it was that was actually before them. The, the greatness of what it is they were encountering. And so I love this illustration of Joshua Bell taking his, his gift to, uh, that is otherwise you could say reserved for grand concert halls and fancy theaters. And he just takes it to the everyday folks of a subway. And then even more on point that I referenced earlier, he takes his gift to none other than the children's show of Sesame Street. Taking his greatness and just gifting it to children. Our great God is not in some great far-off palace, but he is a perfect dad who just longs to and loves to hear from you, his children. And so in light of that invitation, in light of that reality, that is our invitation this week too. Um, you know, last week, if you were here, we, we challenged ourselves to take like a minute with God, to message God throughout the week. Um, but this week, I want to take it a little further um, and really take uh, to, you could say, a passing by like the thousand. And what would it look like for you to be like one of the seven uh, who, who lingers a little longer uh, like it did in the subway the first go-around, or like the one woman the first time in the subway who actually recognized Joshua Bell. What would it look like for us to recognize who it is we get to talk to and, and take a little more time in prayer with him? And so my invitation, I'm going to invite you now in the room and in the East Auditorium, go ahead and take out your construction paper and your crayon. Um, I have a friend who's a worship arts pastor in Virginia, and he, he, uh, he, he says he's the arts and crafts pastor, which... I think it's funny. Today I'm the arts and crafts pastor. Uh, and I want you to write on the top of one of the sides. It uh, doesn't matter because they're both the same right now. Five for five. Five, F-O-R, five. Right, five for five. And here's, here's the, uh, the invitation this week. That you would take five minutes in, we'll say, a diameter of five feet of space to talk with God. To spend a little more time, a five-foot diameter to find a space to take five minutes to spend with God. And so to do that, to kind of help put rubber to road, they say if we write things down, things are more likely to happen. So I want you to write underneath that, I want you to write the words for your five for five. I want you to write the words real big, when and where. When and where. And I can see if you're not writing, by the way. At least not. So, and if you're at home and you grab a crayon, that's super fun. If not, a pen and whatever else. Um, y'all think I don't see you. I see everything. I can see you. And so when and where, and then decide before you leave today, because that would probably help, you know, when, when are you going to spend time with God? Uh, maybe for you, it's right after the coffee fills up. Um, where is maybe at the kitchen table. Uh, maybe your when is like a midday break at work, and where is like your 
you know, break room spot, wherever that is. Maybe your when is like when you take uh, a morning walk. And your where is, well, wherever you take a morning walk. Uh, and you can be like one of those like football replays where they put the little yellow globe around you and you kind of, and they run. And so it follows you. Your five feet can follow you. You all don't watch football? Okay. All right. So I want to read something to you from uh, this book that really served as an inspiration for this series as it relates to really this both end that, hey, taking the moments with God is great, but so is taking some, some focus time as well. Uh, the author, Paul Miller, in the book, A Praying Life, which is available in the cafe if you're interested. He says, while being constant in prayer, Romans 12, 12, uh, or 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, you know, pray continually, pray without ceasing. While that's important, an important way of praying all the time, this is no substitute for focused times of prayer. For example, a husband and a wife who only talk in snippets to one another throughout the day, we know they would have a pretty shallow relationship. He says you can't build a relationship by sound bites. He says, any relationship, if it is going to grow, it needs private space, time together without an agenda where you can get to know each other. And then I love this line right here. It says, if you don't create, excuse me, you don't create intimacy, you make room for it. You make space, you make time. And then kind of the aha, if Jesus, if Jesus had to pull away from people and noise, in order to pray, well, then it only makes sense that we need to as well. And so that is our invitation this week to five for five, some special time, just you getting to know God, getting to know him and what he has for you. And so in the spirit of productivity, to check something off our list before we even leave, even leave the room, I want to give you uh, just a few minutes right here uh, to have that conversation with God, to say whatever it is you want to say. The only rules are, there are no rules. Uh, it's imperfect speech, fragment sentences, bad spelling, poor handwriting. Like, it doesn't matter. You could draw a picture. You are his son, his daughter's child who gets to express in any way that makes sense to you. And rewarding, again, to make sure we don't go all thee, thou, and thine on ourselves and get all fine and fancy as adults, we have this gargantuan mnemonic device. Because you just can't write serious stuff in serious ways with the largest crayon I ever did see in my life. And so, let this be a reminder that we are his children and that is the way to come to God according to his word. And with that, I'd say take your crayon with you. You don't have to give it back. Just uh, put it, I would say maybe in that five-foot diameter spot as a reminder, not only to pray, but the way that we get to pray. And so we're going to give you a few minutes to do that right here. Uh, and so let's do that here together. Heavenly Father, Dad, it's awesome that you just want to hear whatever it is we have to say, that you can, that you choose to, that you want to, and that you care about what we have to say. And so, Father, as your boys and girls Sons and daughters, thank you that you hear what we write to you now.